0: Welcome to the Daily Bite. I'm your host, Rev. Steve Andrews. Let's look at Numbers chapter 21. When the Canaanite, the king of Arad, who lived in the Negev, heard that Israel was coming by the way of the Atharim, he fought against Israel and took some of them captive. And Israel vowed a vow to Yahweh and said, If you will indeed give this people into my hand, then I will devote their cities to destruction. And Yahweh heeded the voice of Israel and gave over the Canaanites, and they devoted them and their cities to destruction. So the name of the place was called Hormah. For Mount Hor, they set out by way to the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. And the people became impatient on the way. And the people spoke against God and against Moses, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no food and no water, and we loathe this worthless food. Then Yahweh sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, so that many people of Israel died. And the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against Yahweh and against you. Pray to Yahweh that he take away the serpents from us. So Moses prayed for the people, and Yahweh said to Moses, Make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole, and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live. So Moses made a bronze serpent and set it on a pole, and if a serpent bit anyone, He would look at the bronze serpent and live. And the people of Israel set out and camped in Oboth. And they set out from Oboth and they camped at Ai Abarim in the wilderness that is opposite Moab toward the sunrise. From there they set out and camped in the valley of Zered. From there they set out and camped on the other side of the Arnon, which is in the wilderness that extends from the border of the Amorites. For the Arnon is the border of Moab between Moab and the Amorites. Therefore, it is said in the book of the wars of Yahweh, Wahib and Sufa and the valleys of the Arnon and the slopes of the valleys that extend to the seat of Ar and leans to the border of Moab. And from there they continue to bear. That is the well of which Yahweh said to Moses, Gather the people together so that I may give them water. Then Israel sang this song, Spring up, O well, sing to it the well that the princes made, that the nobles of the people dug, with the scepter and with their staffs. And from the wilderness they went on to Matanah, and from Matanah to Nahalil, and from Nahalil to Bemoth, and from Bemoth to the valley lying in the region of Moab by the top of Pisgah, that looks down on the desert. Then Israel sent messengers to Sihon, king of the Amorites, saying, Let me pass through your land. We will not turn aside into the field or vineyard. We will not drink the water of a well. We will go by the king's highway until we have passed through your territory. But Sihon would not allow Israel to pass through his territory. He gathered all his people together and went out against Israel to the wilderness and came to Jehaz and fought against Israel. And Israel defeated him with the edge of the sword and took possession of his land from the Arnon to the Jabbok, as far as to the Ammonites, for the border of the Ammonites was strong. And Israel took all these cities, and Israel settled in all the cities of the Amorites, in Heshbon, and in all its villages. For Heshbon was the city of Sihon, the king of the Amorites, who had fought against the former king of Moab, and taken all his land out of his hand as far as the Arnon. Therefore the ballad singers say, Come to Heshbon, let it be built. Let the city of Sihon be established. For fire came out from Heshbon, flame from the city of Sihon. It devoured Ar of Moab and swallowed the heights of the Arnon. Woe to you, O Moab! You are undone, O people of Kamash! He has made his sons fugitives and his daughters captives to an Amorite king, Sihon. So we overthrew them. Heshbon as far as Deban, perished, and we laid waste as far as Nopha. Fire spread as far as Mediba. Thus Israel lived in the land of the Amorites, and Moses sent to spy out Jazer, and they captured its villages and dispossessed the Amorites who were there. Then they turned and went up by the way to Bashan. And Og, the king of Bashan, came out against them, he and all his people, to battle at Edre. But Yahweh said to Moses, Do not fear him, for I have given him into your hand and all his people and his land. And you shall do to him as you did to Sihon, king of the Amorites, who lived at Heshbon." So they defeated him and his sons and all his people until he had no survivor left, and they possessed his land. This is the word of the Lord. Obviously, in this chapter, lots of travel and starts of some military battles here going on. You don't get the fullness of the capturing of the promised land uh, until you get past Moses' lifetime and you get into the the time of Joshua as their leader. Uh, The book of Joshua has a lot to do with that. But it's begun. They're beginning to take parts of the land that they will ultimately end up settling in. Um, We're east of the Jordan River in this account, mostly, We'll, we'll cover that. Um, and some of the tribes don't cross the Jordan. Some of the tribes choose, as they're entering the promised land, to actually stay behind and, and live in that area because they thought it looked nice enough to them. And it allowed them to spread out even more. So we'll see that um, too. But let's cover what we've got today. They start out almost the opposite of what we saw yesterday. So at the end of the text yesterday, we, I suggested that they had traveled east because Edom said no, refused their passage. That they were going east south of edom that they were going to go down around edom and wrap up and start heading north again the text today begins actually making it sound like they first tried to travel north Uh, the negev is the the southern part of what israel will be it's where as you think of the 12 spies who had gone out the negev was part of what they were supposed to have spied out and come back and report on So they go there, they run into the king of Arad, and he fights against them, even captures some of them. They vow themselves, they pledge themselves to Yahweh. What good that's going to do. But they do. Basically making God a deal that if he, if he would just give them the victory, they would destroy all those cities. God does grant them victory. Uh, This is God's judgment over the we'd call them the Erudites. Um, you don't really see that word in scripture, but they too face God's judgment. They too have sinned against the Lord and, and God brings about judgment upon them at this point. Horma means destruction. So as you see that in verse three, the biggest part of this text that really you can focus on with your kids is going to be this next paragraph, verses four through nine. This is an account that has some familiarity to it. But has a has a enormous tie in to the New Testament. I mean, this is this is like the one that we can't miss. So, so certainly prepare to to bring that out with your kids. So they go, they end up going around, right? So we see they head back towards the Red Sea. They go around the land of Edom, just as I thought that they were going to with uh, at the end of chapter twenty there. And the people become impatient, and they grumble against God again. How many times have we seen that now in this book? And they despise the food that they've been given, right? Look at verse 5. We loathe this worthless food. Is the manna really worthless? Has it not sustained them for years, decades even at this point? It has given them life. And they loathe it. They hate it. They despise the one who gives it to them. And so God sends them a punishment. He punishes them for this rebellion against him again, uh, for their sin. He's judging them now. And so they die. Uh, The fiery serpent plague comes from God himself. When the fiery serpents bite a person, that person dies. And so they finally confess they've sinned. They almost wonder how honest that confession of theirs really is. Um, But perhaps it is. You know, as they're driven finally to realize their sin they, they confess it and they ask Moses to intercede to pray for them to go before the Lord for them on their behalf and and seek his forgiveness his mercy that they may stop dying it almost seems sometimes like that's the only thing that keeps a person in line is the the fear of God's judgment and when they forget that that judgment, they fall out of line. In part, I wonder how much of the world we see around us is working in this very way. That God brings his judgment, and we're not even aware of it, but he brings his judgment upon us in order that we might repent and that we might live, that we might see the gospel and that God might continue to work in that way. I think is probably true although you know it's a hidden thing of the will of god so i wouldn't really be able to point out to you nor you to me but it's god's response that we want to focus on verse 8 make a fiery serpent and set it on a pole and everyone who is bitten when he sees it shall live make a serpent stick it on a pole And if somebody gets bitten by one of these snakes, instead of dying, have them look at the pole, look at the serpent on the pole, look up to see the serpent, and when they do, they will be spared, they will be healed, they will be cleansed, they will live. This is where you want to check in with your kids and see if it sounds familiar. See if they've picked up on the New Testament connection here. Because Jesus makes this connection himself. Right before we get to that, though, Um, the traditional symbol that you see on ambulances, uh, the paramedic symbol where it has like the, the shield logo with, uh, the pole going up and down vertically. And then it's got like a snake wrapped around the pole. That's this text. That logo has its, its origins in the history of God's people, which is really, that's something to consider, isn't it? But as we look at that, um, We then have to look at John. We have to look at Gospel of John. This is John chapter 3, verse 16. That's the verse like all Christians know. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, so that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see it on posters and banners at sporting events. But what's the context of that verse? Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, one of the Pharisees, who is afraid of all the other Pharisees. He doesn't want them to know that he's starting to actually believe in this Jesus guy. And so he sneaks out in the middle of the night to visit Jesus and talk to him more. And when he does, this is part of their conversation. Started at verse 14. So Jesus is talking to him. And of course, the conversation's been going on for a while already. But this is the part. Verse 14. As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness. Numbers, 7, Numbers chapter 21 here. So must the Son of Man be lifted up, the cross, on Good Friday, so that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. And then he says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, so that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do you see the connection? This Old Testament account from Numbers chapter 21, Jesus takes this account himself, And he makes it about his cross that we are bitten by our sin. And what happens when we're bitten by our sin? We look up and we see the cross of Christ and we know that our sins have been forgiven. We know that we get to live rather than die. The question I guess you could ask there is how is our numbers account, how is this pole and this serpent similar to Jesus on the cross. And it's that we were dying, just like the people that were bitten were dying. When they looked up, they live. When we look up and we see Christ, we live. That's uh, a great connection. Uh, so that, again, that's probably your focus of this chapter as you do a Bible study <laughs> with your kids. But uh, the rest of it is military stuff, conquest as they're going about um, lots of locations mentioned uh, read them as best you can as you try and pronounce them uh, just go through uh, and you'll be fine uh, they're they're east of moab so the, the I abarim in verse 11 opposite moab toward the sunrise toward the sunrise is east so they're east of moab so as you're looking at a map of of that area you've got south and southeast of the salt sea you have edom uh, then on the southeastern side, kind of moving up northward a little bit, you've got Moab. And so that's where they're east of Moab at this point. As they're moving, the Arnon is a river that comes basically right out of the, the middle of the Salt Sea on the right side. It, it, I guess it probably flows into the Salt Sea. But as you picture a map, it looks like it's just coming out of, it's a like a right arm uh, for that that sea. And so we get an account from the Book of the Wars of Yahweh. There are several times in the Old Testament where other random books that sound like they have some importance to them are mentioned, and we don't have them. I mean, we don't have this book. So, I don't know what was in it, and how important it might have been, but it's, that one's lost to history, unfortunately. Verse 16, uh, it is not Be'er, uh <laughs> Be'er is an example of that, and it's the Hebrew word for a well. And I don't know if this is a new reference in verse 16, the gathering of the people, or if it's uh, a reference to something previous or not. But they sing. They sing about it. Instead of striking, they sing. And it says Moses was supposed to have spoken to the rock. They're singing now to this well, uh, rejoicing in the the gift of water that they have. And you see more places named as they continue traveling north uh, along Moab, up, up beyond it now, Sihon is the king of the Amorites, and they are the ones who control the land to the east of the Salt Sea. So Moab is, is on the southeastern side of the Salt Sea. and Now the Amorites are on the eastern side of the Salt Sea. So we've moved north a little bit further. And they again request to move past, uh, move through on the king's highway. And that request is denied, just as it was by the, the Edomites uh, chapter two ago. So it is here. That they would not allow Israel to pass. And he, like Edom, gathers up his troops and marches against them. But instead of just making a blockade, he actually attacks. Uh, And so they fight against Israel and they lose. Israel defeats them and takes possession of the land of the Amorites. It's the beginning of the conquest uh, that comes, again, fully in, in the book of Joshua. But they're beginning it now. They take this land The Arnon, again, flows out of the side of the the Salt Sea, uh, roughly the middle of it. The Jabbok is another river that comes out of the middle of the Jordan, roughly, again, eastward. Uh, So you've got those two rivers mentioned here, and the Amorites had lived in between them. So now the Israelites get to live in between them. They have started to settle these cities. You've got a military championship song um, that you could think of soldiers singing there starting in verse 27 and then another battle another conquest as they they live there in the land of the Amorites Moses seeks to continue Moving his people towards the promised land. And so he does that he sends out a spy again uh, and and this time they capture the land of jazer and Continue to dispossess more Amorites and you get the mention of Og king of Bashan Bashan is further north yet. Uh, You might be familiar, probably more familiar with it being called the Sea of Galilee from the New Testament, Jesus' day. It is the the small sea at the northern side of the Jordan River. At this time, it's called the Sea of Canareth. And uh, Bashan would be the land to the east of that Sea of Canareth. And so God makes the promise, do not fear him, I have given him into your hand. Go, fight. And they do. And they win. And once again, we see the, the people of Israel, their, their land, their conquest here beginning as the Lord continues to provide for them, even, even through all their faithlessness to him.